0: Boston, 2019, all in, my 21st Boston Marathon. I didn't sleep great the night before. Part of it was the driving rain and the thunder and lightning that shook the house. Part of it was my ruminating brain. You might think that having such a great training cycle would allow me to rest easy, but no It somehow raised the stakes. My trusty subconscious was chattering away. What if, after all this work, I managed to screw up the race? What if the weather was bad? Of course, I tried to let my big brain take over and talk myself down off the window ledge. I am grateful to be here, yeah. I am happy to still be doing this, 20-plus years in, yeah. I am blessed. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. After 20 years, you'd think I'd be able to rationalize. Repetition doesn't lower the stakes. This is the Boston Marathon. It matters to me. I put in the work. I qualify. It matters. It matters to me. I rolled out of bed, reasonably refreshed, and put on my throwaway clothes With the lingering rain, I didn't want to wear my race stuff, especially my shoes. Stay dry as long as possible. I had time to take a nice shower, have a bit of breakfast, a normal day at the Russell House. My wife dropped me off at the local Starbucks where I caught a ride with some of the folks from my running club out to Hopkinton. And without incident, I hopped the spectator bus to downtown Hopkinton and made my way over to the senior center to join Eric and the St. Louis Runners. My second year of avoiding Athletes Village, call me soft, but warm and dry with a bathroom, beats ankle-deep mud and a 45-minute portage online. I stretched and rubbed and pre-gamed, got my race gear on, and lubed up really well. With the humidity and the warmer temps, I figured chafing might be an issue. I ran in my old Hoka Cliftons, split shorts, and a race singlet. Nothing fancy. I wore the Boston Strong Hat that I had bought at the Expo. I felt like that was an appropriate message for my training cycle and my race plan. Like Coach said in his pep talk to me, it didn't matter if it was 100 degrees or if there were 80 mile an hour winds. I was not going to waste this training cycle, no matter what happened. I was committed. I wasn't giving myself an option to give up or to ease off, no matter what. I was all in. I would control the only thing that any of us really controls my commitment to fight, to be strong. From the Senior Center, we watched the early waves start on TV. We saw the wheelchair finish, which seemed a bit strange to be seeing the people finish a race you're an hour away from starting. And in the room, there were several faster red bib wave two runners. And that seemed to be the demographic in general. Lots of fit, young, fast runners and Nike Vaporflies and a handful of us old war horses. Eric and I were in the same wave and corral, 3-3, which put us up the hill, not far from the start line. Without hurry, we made our way over, when the time was right, to the start. It's an electric time, walking to the start of the Boston Marathon. If you could somehow drop an emotional energy meter into the center of Hopkinton, Massachusetts, it would be bouncing off the rails. It would be maxing out. Thousands of qualified athletes stepping into the culmination of their training cycles. Each one a story of dedication and perseverance, and right now, in this very moment, at their emotional peak. This is it. The big test. The qualification effort is an In the past, the months of training and sacrifice all leading in an inevitable, emotional march to this day and this moment, and the atmosphere buzzes like an electric field. Eric and I made our way out of the Senior Center in the misty, post-rain, cool, overcast morning. The sun was struggling to break through the remnants of the storms that had passed. We walked the short trek to Main Street in the bottom of the hill, where the first half of the corrals take a turn back towards Athletes Village. As we cleared the security to access the melee of runners trying to find corrals, I ran straight into my friend Alette. And this is one of the alternate universe characteristics of Boston. If you are trying to meet people on purpose, you'll never find them but you randomly run into people you know for no predictable or probable reason in the crowd of 30,000 athletes. I gave her a hug. We had a few words. Eric and I continued our hike up the hill towards the start line to find our apportioned third corral. Corral 3 is close to the actual start line. We got to the opening just before our wave start, and ended up in the back of the corral, just as they pulled the ropes and the corral four runners flooded in to fill the gap. And like that, we were off again, bounding down the steep hill out of Hockington, heading towards another date with destiny. I went into my training cycle angry. (laughs) It was mid-October, and I had just jogged off the course, at the Bay State Marathon after one lap. I thought that I would have the legs after that big training cycle volume over the summer, training for the Burning River 100-mile ultra, but I could not hold the pace at Bay State, and I gave up. There wasn't a lot of urgency in that race. I was already qualified. I could run another if I wanted to. I let my big brain rationalize me off the course. I didn't fight. Ultra training was all about multi-hour runs in the trails. Great for fitness, great for peace of mind, but not great for racing marathons on the road. While putting in those 90 plus mile long training weeks, I didn't pay much attention to nutrition or flexibility. I paid no attention to speed and tempo work. So coming into the late summer, I was tipping the scales in the mid-180s. But that's not obese for me, but it is some extra weight. And I have discovered that as I age, I'm losing body mass in general. So my old race weights aren't something I can compare against. Instead, I look at fat percentage as a decent proxy for excess. And late summer, I was up with a 12-13% body fat. So right on the edge. And the extra weight doesn't matter when you're ambling around in the woods. In fact, it's probably an advantage. But it sucks to carry when you're trying to run fast circles on a track or hard charges up a hill. Trying to tune up for that race in the fall, I noticed that I really struggled with speed and tempo. My legs weren't cooperating. My turnover was pathetic and I had no pop. And that's when I got a bit angry. I knew I had work to do. And talking with Coach after the race, he convinced me not to try to race again and to focus on Boston still five months in the future. I committed to get lean, to get healthy, and to go into 2019 Boston training with a higher level of commitment to see what I could do. Running a qualifying time has never been easy for me. I'm not that naturally talented athlete who glides by the standards. I struggle and work to barely scrape by. The BAA has hopefully lowered the standard by 10 minutes over the last few years, and that struggle to scrape by is even more scrapier. I need to meet the same standard today as I did two age groups ago. And so it began. I worked my diet, And I worked my plan through the holidays, dropping those first 10 pounds and working daily on my tight hamstrings and quads. And I came into this training cycle lean and fit. And by the end of this cycle, I was hovering around 170 pounds and 9% body fat. And I was getting good sleep and I was healthy. Bringing this health into my training cycle enabled me to hit paces I haven't seen in 10 years. It enabled me to attack workouts that I would have walked away from in previous cycles. I had the quality, if not the volume, that I needed to do well. And like I said, I'm quite proud of this training cycle. I feel like it was a major lifestyle event or change for me. I'm also cognizant of the fact that I'm not a 20-year-old or a 30-year-old or a 40-year-old anymore. And this kind of intensity may not be the best choice for longevity in this sport. I was dead set on sticking to my plan. I was not going to go out too fast. I was going to stick to eight minute miles or slower, and my strategy was to make it through the hills with enough juice to close the race. Maybe it was because we started at the back of the corral, but it seemed very crowded in the beginning of the race, and we crossed that first mile mark at somewhere around an 8.24 pace, successfully resisting the pull of the hills. Again, from the random encounter files, Frank, one of my training partners, tapped me on the shoulder and congratulated me for not going out too fast at the first mile. I was glad to see him, but I turned around and he was gone, running his own race. I say somewhere around an 8.24 pace because my Garmin was off. It was off the mile marks from the start, and it got worse as the race progressed. I ended up three-tenths of a mile off the distance, which is a lot. It's close to a three-minute discrepancy at the finish. So that's like six to eight seconds a mile, which is important when you're scraping to qualify. The next few miles brought our average Eric and I down right around an 8.03 official at the first 5k mark, which was right where we wanted to be. We were running smart, and according to the official BAA timers, we were right on our target splits at the 5k, at the 10k. And my legs didn't feel great. There have been times at Boston that early in the race, I can feel that pop in my legs. This wasn't one of those. And I knew it was going to be a work day, but I was committed to the work. I wasn't going to waste this training. No matter what, I was going to work my plan all the way, all in. And the race felt very crowded this year, especially in the water stops. People were bumping and pushing and getting knocked off pace in those early tables. Eric started grumbling pretty early about it not being his day, but I pushed back and said, all we have to do is hold this pace and get to the top of that hill. Hold this pace and make it to the top of Heartbreak. That's the plan, and (laughs) I'm working my plan. Come hell or high water, I am all in. And we were taking water at every aid station because it was a bit warmer than it should have been, and we wanted to stay ahead of it. I got a couple of Endura lights down around the one-hour, 10K point, and it was still overcast, but it wasn't uncomfortable. I had a couple gels with me that I had tried to pin to the back of the waistline of my shorts, and I had no other way to carry them except in my hands. I was going to tuck them inside my shorts, but that didn't feel quite right, so I let them hang outside and flop around. And at one point, this, uh, this guy runs up to me and says, you're going to lose those gels. And one did break free. But I got the other one through the first hour, and I ate that about an hour in. With the warm weather, I was a bit concerned about my gut. I knew I had to stay on top of the water and the fuel, but by doing so, also risked nausea from too much. And again, when you're racing at your threshold pace, your body doesn't like to digest stuff too. Somewhere before the 10-mile mark, I turned around and Eric was gone, off to run his own race. Now I had to pace myself and execute my plan. Through the half, I was right on pace, even a couple seconds faster on a couple miles. According to my watch, I was a bit faster, you know, that, that five to seven seconds a mile that my watch was off. And the race splits and that difference would end up being significant. My watch splits were probably five to eight seconds a mile off my race clock splits. We pulled through Wellesley in the Scream Tunnel, and I stayed to the middle of the road to not get tangled up. I remember seeing some young men mixed in with the co-eds this year and hoping this wasn't a trend. Not a positive trend, anyhow. I was pacing a couple guys around my age who looked like they were on the same mission, but one of them had this annoying habit of going much faster on the downhills, so I I let them go. Somewhere around Wellesley, just around there, the clouds cleared and the full sun came out. Not terribly warm, but full sun, calm, and around 70. And the weather was a big story this year at Boston, as it usually is. It wasn't a major issue, but it was a big story. A week out, it was forecast to be raging thunderstorms, rain, and wind like we had last year. The race officials even reacted to move up the Wave 4 start to get people out of Athletes Village and onto the course a bit sooner. But as the race got closer... The forecast changed to 60s, rain, and a significant tailwind. This forecast held right up to the race. The only thing that changed as the days got closer was the temperature was creeping up, closer to 70. Still, drizzly, with a stiff tailwind, sounded pretty good to me. The dynamic was, as it usually is, Boston is the last stop for any storm train that rolls across the country. And typically, these come through in waves or fronts. When you look at a weather forecast for New England, it really depends on where these storm fronts are, how fast they're moving, and what's on either side. That's why this year was so squirrely, so schizophrenic. We had two energetic systems sweeping across the country And as good as our weather technology is, it's a guess as to when the fronts show up and when they leave. That first traveler was a warm front with tropical downpours. Then on the heels of that one was a cold front with another line of rain and high wind. And this is all in the same 24-hour period. So depending on a couple hours or a shift in the storm path, you could get rain, wind, warm, cold, cold. Sunny skies or calm. That's why you'll hear people say they got all four seasons during the race this year. That's why even the night before, we had no idea what we were getting. What we ended up getting was the tropical storm early, the warm front, with lots of rain, warm temperatures, and high winds. And that's what woke me up the night before. As the out-of-town runners made their way out on the buses to Athlete's Village, they had to deal with these tropical downpours and the thunder and lightning. And as the waves started to go off, this weather calmed. It swept through. It was overcast, wet, and calm. Still, this early rain turned the Hopkinton High School fields in Athlete's Village into a medieval mud bath again for the waiting athletes. And by the time my wave... Wave 3 went off. It was overcast, warmish, and humid with very little wind. So as I started the race in Corral 3, Wave 3, it was mid-60s, calm, overcast, and humid. Not bad racing weather. But as we got into Wellesley and the hills in Newton, the sun came out. It was 70, full sun, and no wind. A bit warm for us, but not horrible. Ironically, after all the storms and dire forecasts, all the New Englanders got a touch of sunburn on their virgin skin. Those poor people from out of town who packed their winter gear or their rain gear in anticipation of Armageddon got a nice, warm, sunny New England day. And that second front, the one with the rain and the tailwinds we were supposed to get, well, that came through right after we finished. So by the time I finished, the clouds were coming in again And it started raining and gusting when I was walking to the hotel. And when I left the hotel for the train a couple hours later, after a shower and rehydrating, the temperature had dropped by 20 degrees and there was a biting wind in the city. All four seasons in one day. The net result, at least for we wave two, three runners, we hit the gap exactly between the storm fronts and ran on a clear, windless, slightly too warm spring day. Did it impact my race? I don't know. It was a bit warmer than I like, and there was no tailwind. It certainly didn't help, and I've heard a lot of people blaming it for poor performances, but it wasn't awful. Probably more of a convenient excuse than a causative factor, and that's Boston. After the sun came out and we passed through the Scream Tunnel, the next major landmark is the drop down into Newton Lower Falls and the start of the hills, with hill zero climbing up over 128. It was in this section where I started to feel a bit funky. I had a classic power loss moment, and it freaked me out. This is way too early in the race to be having a power loss. All those negative thoughts started swirling, but I shut them off, and I recommitted to fighting it all the way. I took another gel, that I had grabbed from somebody, and that did the trick. I felt human again, just in time for the hills. I worked that downhill form down the steep hill into Newton Lower Falls and refocused on getting to the top of heartbreak. I did a great job in this race of reeling my mind in. Each time my head started to go sideways, I would refocus on what I was doing, what I was doing right now, and my mantra became, run the mile you're in and I kept working. I lost 10 seconds or so on that slow mile, but according to my watch, I had a couple minutes in the bank for the hills, so I wasn't going to let up. And that's a trick at Boston. How do you go fast enough in the beginning that you don't fall behind your pace and have a bit of a buffer for the hills, while at the same time not burning out your legs in the process? But I was right on my plan. It was a work day, but I was on my plan. According to my watch, I could give a couple minutes back and still make my time. Maybe not my A goal, but certainly my B goal. Hill was hard, but manageable. After you get over the highway, they're handing out gels again, so I grabbed one of those for later. I was keeping my water intake up, but not really drinking much of the F2C Endurance that I was carrying in my bottle, mostly because it was warm, and by now my stomach was a bit nasty. I couldn't summon the energy to dig any more lights out, but I figured I was getting enough from the gels and an occasional sip from my bottle. We turned by the firehouse, and I was grinding away, staying on pace. The uphills didn't feel great, but my downhill pace was nice and strong. It was still work, and I wasn't having a great day, but I thought I was managing it well. I was running the mile I was in and focused on getting to the top of heartbreak. Hill one wasn't bad, and I ran really well off the back of it to recover. And this was very positive for me because many years, this has been the spot where the race completely unravels right around 18 miles, before you even get to heartbreak. Hill 2 was a bit harder, but again I recovered well and ran smoothly on the backside, and then we were into heartbreak. I wasn't looking at my watch anymore. I was all in, working as well as I could, and staying as close to pace as I could, looking to get to the top of that hill and reap the benefits of the downhills and the flats into the finish. I took a quick walk at the water table before entering the hill to get my head right, and I started to climb. I remember raising my head and looking up that half-mile climb, and then getting back to work. My training and preparation for this race were excellent. The only blip was that I had a business conference in Chicago the final week of my taper going into the race, and I ate too much, drank too much beer, got bad sleep, and spent way too much time on my feet. That should not have been enough to unravel the total quality of my training, but it may have been one of the small factors influencing my race. My legs were a bit tight, and I was a bit jet-lagged and heavy as I rested out the weekend before the race. And since I was flying back from Chicago Friday morning anyhow, I figured I'd swing by the expo and pick up my bib, I usually go in Saturday, but this seemed convenient, and I really wanted to get off my feet and rest for the remainder of the time I had left. I dragged my travel bags onto the train and made my way over to the Heinz at the Prue for the expo. There was no line at the bib pickup. I cruised right through without breaking stride. When I turned into the shirt pickup room, there was this long line, and I luckily, instead of just joining the line, I asked someone, "'What is this line for?' and apparently it was for people to take a photo of themselves in front of a particular wall banner. So I skipped that line and cruised right through shirt pickup, without breaking a stride. There were people and family groups taking pictures all around with their bibs and their shirts. There were people immediately digging the shirts out and trying them on for fit so they could exchange if necessary. All these people were just so excited to be there. They were clutching and fawning in the symbols and the idolatry of the moment. So many stories, all different, but all the same, too. They worked so hard to get here, and now they were celebrating and a bit in awe of the moment. So I made my way over to the expo, and this is where the crowds were. There was a veritable feeding frenzy at the Adidas official gear booth. Crowds of runners pawing through the overpriced merch and a line to check out that would make Disney proud. I didn't see anything I liked. I usually buy a hat, but all the racing hats had the logo stuck on, like as a chunk of plastic, not stitched in, so I passed. And none of the shorts looked like anything I'd want to wear either, so I skipped that line too and moved on without breaking stride. The expo seemed smaller than usual, a bit underwhelming, disappointing maybe, There were the usual big shoe companies and such. There was the theater showing the race course run-through video, which is always popular. On the negative side, there seemed to be a lot of ancillary, what I might call, late-night TV products. Various potions and devices guaranteed by someone to do something. On the good side, there were two beer booths. Yeah, the Sam Adams guys had a large presence at the expo, and runners were happily consuming the 26.2 brew specially made for the race. And our friend Zealous, the beer for runners out of Western Mass, had a booth there too. I might, positive suggestions, I might suggest that they consider the expo at Boston as part of the character of the race and find a way to do better. Maybe get people in products that fit into our lifestyles? I'm sure it's just a financial thing. They fill the space with whoever is willing to pay. But how about setting aside booth space for something more intrinsic to our demographic, like authors or important charities or maybe the good races or maybe some science-based products? Or maybe I'm just overthinking. My legs were pretty shitty as I went into the ascent of heartbreak. Even after all those awesome sets of hill repeats I had done in training, I couldn't find that gear, that energy, that strength. So instead of slowing to a shuffle, I switched to a fast hike-run cadence, an ultra-running trick, to save my legs and not lose too much. My legs were really heavy and refused to climb. But I worked through to the top of the hill. I figured that was my time buffer. (laughs) Now, I had to hang on to close to race pace to have any chance of making my time. And coming off the hill, I relaxed again. And I had great downhill form and effort. And I felt comfortable. I figured I was really close to my goal pace and just had to keep hitting it. I kept running the mile I was in. I thought I carried a couple minute buffer at least into the hills, so even if I lost a minute or two, it would still be close. The course started to take its toll on the runners. The pack was looser here, but runners would be stopping or weaving or sitting on the side of the road, and you had to watch out or bump your way through. I saw two runners being packed onto stretchers by EMTs, and I pushed on. In my head, I thought, just stay close. All in. Keep fighting. It was work. I wasn't terribly uncomfortable. I was able to maintain close to goal pace on the downs and flats in that last 10K. I felt strong rolling down that hill with the train tracks in the Cleveland Circle. And then I looked up to see the 24-mile sign right next to me. And out of habit, I looked at my watch, and my Garmin said almost exactly 320. And even with my addled brain, I could do that math. I would have to run those last 2.21 miles in 15 minutes or better to get my time. I had been battling to hold on to 8.10s in these last miles, thinking I had some buffer. But battling as I was, there was no way I was going to lay down a couple of sub-730s at that point. And the wind came out of my sails I let my foot off the gas. I reminded myself to lift my head and to look around. The screaming crowds, the sit-go sign, the mile to go, the right on Hereford, the left on Boylston, the crowd on Boylston like a living, screaming animal pulling you to the finish. And I let myself be in that moment. And I finished easy in 3.40, 19, according to the BAA timer. A full five minutes off my B-goal. As near as I can figure, with my watch being so far off the race splits, I did not have that two to three minute buffer going into the hills. I probably had 45 seconds to a minute. And when I lost those two or three minutes in the hills, combined with a couple slower miles where I was maybe five or ten seconds off pace, at the end, I was in a hole coming off a heartbreak. And I didn't have the juice to negative split it in. In those final miles where I was working to hang on close to race pace, I really needed to be negative splitting. Of those five minutes that I missed by, you know, half that is real. Half of that is me taking my time to enjoy the last two miles of the race. And in these last few days since the race, I struggle with how to write and talk about it. I suppose that's the defining characteristic of this race, that it refuses to play along to your script And it refuses to be categorized. On the one hand, I feel blessed and awed to be able to be part of this great thing. On the other, I have mixed feelings about how I haven't had a great race in almost a decade at Boston. That's why I like to let these things sit a bit before I write it up. Let something that makes sense congeal into narrative and form. Come to some sort of conclusion. Some sort of tidy summary to stamp a smiley face on the report before turning it in for grading. And this week, these couple weeks since the race, I've been waking up early. I don't know why. Maybe it's the early rising sun of late spring. Maybe it's a damage in my legs. (laughs) Maybe it's my unsettled mind. I'm typically blessed with clarity in the morning. So why not work on this report for you? Let's see if we can benefit from an early release of green, fresh thoughts, still weeping sap from the fresh cuts. The summary statement, if one can ever summarize a Boston Marathon race, is I'm happy with my training effort. I'm happy with my racing effort. I think I executed my plan well, but I'm a bit disappointed with the results. Here are the two sides of that coin. I missed my A goal by 10 minutes. I missed my B goal by 5 minutes. Now I'm out of qualification. Flip that over and you find that I trained well, I executed my plan, I worked hard, I didn't give up. And relatively, I did very well. But relatively doesn't get you entry into next year's race. How can I say that I relatively did well? Well, that's quite simple. Since Boston is a seeded race, all you need to do is to look at how you performed vis-a-vis your bib number. For every finishing spot you beat your bib number by, you finished better than someone who qualified with a better time than you did. And I beat my bib number by 6,595 places. Even if you throw out the outliers, it's obvious that I had a much better day than many of my cohort. It was my training my execution, and my pure stubbornness that enabled me to do so. And part of me wonders just what I have to do to have a breakout race at Boston. Part of me wonders if I have anything left I can do. Part of me wonders if maybe I just don't have the ability to pull it off anymore. And of course, part of me wonders why I care so much. (laughs) Really? What is it about this race that turns me into a neurotic mess once a year? Don't get me wrong. I didn't have a terrible race. I'm not jumping out the window with remorse. I'm just stressed out because I controlled everything I could. I did everything I could. And it still wasn't enough for Boston. Based on my training paces, I should have hit my A goal of breaking 330. And I should have easily hit my B goal of 335. But that didn't happen. I crossed that line with a hard-fought 340. I'm beat up and I'm sore. I executed my plan, but those training paces and that training fitness weren't enough for this race. I worked hard. I worked my plan. I never gave up. I'm proud of the effort. There were times in this race where I was struggling and I was able to pull myself together, focus on the mile I was in, and keep racing. And it was probably the depth and the quality of my training that allowed me to fight back. A positive spin on it might be that without that training and execution, it would have been a real train wreck. So here we are, dear reader, out of qualification. As my training buddies and I joked, there is no way to gracefully disengage from Boston. If you have a good race, you're qualified, and you might as well run. If you don't, you're pissed off, and you don't want to end on a down note. Either way, you're back on the neurotic Boston horse for another round. I signed up for the Vermont Cities Marathon at the end of May. I'm going to take this training, I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to get my qualification at a reasonable course that doesn't feel the need to demonstrate its dominance and extract its pound of flesh. And I'll see you out there.